Listen, I'm not too keen on these uh, street corner revolutionaries you've been associating with. Oh, they're called patriots, and they're trying to change things. Looking like that? Dad, these are the 70s, not the 50s. Oh, sorry. What, you think because I'm your father I didn't take part in protests when I was young? It's our it was our generation that came up with the slogan, no taxation without representation. Can <laughs> I do my homework now? I wish you would. Hello and welcome to the most irrelevant podcast on the internet. We start with a 30-year-old TV pilot that no one watched, that was uploaded to YouTube where still no one watches it, and we record ourselves talking about it, and no one listens to it. It's funny, it's futile, it's roughly an hour to 90 minutes, you don't have to think about other shit. My name is Stuart. Joe, what what are you doing? What am I? Why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep showing up to this? (laughs) I just love to be tortured. If you could just put me in an Iron Maiden, I, w- I probably would love it. Awesome. And Chris? My goal is to be the Steve Martin of this series as the most frequent recurring guest. Doing a cameo. Uh, you don't have the shock of yeah. white hair quite yet, but I'm sure you're working on it. Tonight is a very special episode. It's our star-spangled salute to America. <laughs> Hey, it's 4th of July, baby. 4th of July. What, what are you going to do? Born in the USA. Brought to you courtesy of the, the red, red, white, and blue. And what better way to salute America than with an utterly mediocre and failed pilot in every sense of the word called 1775. Mediocrity, our main export. It is a real piece of crap. It was terrible. It sucks shit. And it wasn't bad in a way that like you can make fun of it or enjoy it. It was just kind of bland and boring. Yeah. First things first, pretty much everything I've read out there said this somehow inspired by Black Adder. Absolute nonsense. You guys familiar with Black Adder? Yeah, I was a big Black Adder fan. I know that it has Mr. Bean in it before he was Mr. Bean. It stars Mr. Bean, aka Rowan Atkinson, in a very different role as Edmund Black Adder than as his descendants, uh, as they descend through the social ranks through history. He start starting with the prince in the 1100s, and then the last season, he's like a captain in World War One. It's a hilarious show, and it is nothing like 1775 at all. No, if, if they've said that they were inspired by Black Adam when they were writing this, uh, they completely missed even how to make a fucking joke. Yeah, the origin story that I'm getting more of is a Three's Company situation. Come and knock on our door. Come and knock on our door. Yeah, the two producers had previously worked on Three's Company together. That was just about the only thing that I could see that they had both worked on. Yeah, they worked on Three's Company and later, Coach. Oh, that's right. Right. They have a real knack for mediocrity. Someone that worked on it worked on Dr. Doctor. A favorite of mine from Primetime in the AM. Oh, yeah? Yeah, back on USA, they'd play all those, like, kind of forgotten shows. I think I liked that show. It was good. It's, um, what's his name from, um, not Herman's Head. What was that damn show called that you, the CGI guy thing. Max Headroom. Max Headroom. <laughs> Thank you.
Yeah. You're talking about Matt Fewer? Yeah, Matt Fewer. He plays Dr. Doctor. Oh, I'm a huge Matt Fewer fan. He's great. I think you might enjoy that show. And I haven't watched it since I was a teenager, but I bet it still has some laughs. If only we did shows that were actually good that we liked that had more than one episode. Well, they'll have to pay for that. That's that's premium content. That's from the premium feed. Premium content is the shit we enjoy. It's just an extremely mediocre sitcom that happens to take place in uh, 1775. Yeah, it's basically like fucking Family Matters or Full House, just, you know, in buckled boots with fucking powdered wigs actually they don't even have powdered wigs there's some tricorn hats mm-hmm. i'm wearing a tricorn hat right now just in the spirit to get in the mood just to get in the mood me too i'm actually wearing two and since this is our fourth of july episode i do have a line of 10 hot dogs in front of me with uh, relish <laughs> and and uh, condiments <laughs> and doneness you got your fully raw hot dog got the black hot dog yes totally you're just completely charred with bubbly crispy skin delicious who doesn't love a burnt ass hot dog nathan's hot dogs sponsor of this podcast that's right 1775 was actually broadcast on cbs september 5th 1992 the same day that batman the animated series premiered it premiered that morning, that Saturday morning, on Fox. Weird to think of Batman the Animated Series as a morning show. It always, I, when I was growing up, I could have sworn that it was on in the afternoon. It was, yeah. It will. It was syndicated in the afternoons on Fox, and then it was, you know, Saturday morning cartoon too. It was all over the place. Batman was big in the early '90s. They like to move things around. I actually thinking about Married with Children and Three's Company. I actually did a search of them together to see if there was more cross-pollination because I really felt like on this show they were stealing kind of the humor of Married with Children in certain isolated incidences with Working Blue. But what I found was a a forum thread on sitcomsonline.com from 2012, thread title, subject, Three's Company and Married with Children on at the same time. What do you watch? This is a tough one because I love both shows so much and one comes on TBS at 3.30 a.m. and the other comes on TV Land at 3.30 a.m. I have to give the slight edge to MWC because I like Kelly, Bud, and Peggy over Mr. Furley, Stanley Roper, Helen Roper. What show do you watch? If you like the other show better, you should watch the other show. <laughs> it's, a, it's like the fucking the Mr. Plow episode of The Simpsons yeah. where he buys the commercial time at like 3 in the morning. Dad, who's watching TV at 3.17 a.m.? Alcoholics, the unemployable, angry loners. See, I'm thinking a uh-huh. security guard maybe, but Roger responded to him in the thread, I would pick Three's Company. I do like Married with Children, just not nearly as much. Plus... Suzanne Summers was something to look at in those older seasons. Boy, Roger with the hot takes. I'm going to read the Variety article just to give us a little rundown of what this show is about. Set in the year before the Revolutionary War begins, show features Jeremy Proctor, Ryan O'Neill, who runs Philadelphia's Cock and Hound Inn with his wife, Annabelle, Leslie Ann Down, and three teenage daughters, Bookish Maud, Sarah Koskoff, Social Butterfly Eliza, Judith Jones, and young idealist Abby, Daniel Harris. In the plot, Jeremy needs to borrow money for an upcoming ball so that he can pay for the tickets and dress his daughters appropriately. It all will lead, he and his wife hopes, to a young man falling in love with oldest daughter Maud so that she can get 
married. For some reason, the oldest daughter needs to get married first so that the next oldest daughter can get married. But they never really say why. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It's just something that she says, and the parents kind of seem surprised that she says it. Well, I think part of the issue is that the gender politics of this are from the Stone Age, which was also a big part of Three's company. And so the middle daughter is the blonde one. So she's younger, but she's more advanced for her age and like more interested in like men and stuff. And like the older one is brunette and she's nerdy and uh, not as much, which is also just like a weird throwback but it was something that these producers were very comfortable with uh, with, with the uh, continuing yeah exactly let's see the daughters are sarah koska she has no credits after 2004 she's maude the um oldest nerdy daughter she seems like she's kind of nerdy but at the same time she had a boyfriend that she dumped yeah so she's not yeah completely helpless she's not a total incel right I actually like this actress, too, pretty well compared to a lot of the other people on the show. Yeah. Her performance. Yeah, she was good. She has the least credit, but she was on an episode of The X-Files, I believe. Oh, really? There you go. The blonde daughter, and I can't even remember their names. I think that's Eliza. Yeah. She's played by Judith Jones, and she was in a first season episode of TNG. Oh, my God. There's a couple of people that are on TNG in this. It's the one where they go to Planet Sex. God damn it. <laughs> the planet full of scantily clad, beautiful blonde people that do nothing but lay around and fuck all day. They make love at the drop of a hat. Any hat. Yeah, the horny bisexual planet. It, and Riker just can't wait to get down there. <laughs> <laughs> However, little do they know that the way they achieve this utopia is if anybody breaks any rule, no matter how big or small it is, they get the death penalty. And for some reason, they take Wesley Crusher down there and he steps on a flower and these men in diapers show up and want to give him a lethal injection. (laughs) So you're saying they were stand-ins for the audience. That's not the only injection they wanted to give him. Shut up, Wesley. And then the youngest daughter, who is the revolutionary. Yeah, she's quite popular. Right. She's like a modern-day scream queen. Yeah, the YouTube channel that this is posted to is called, like, Danielle Harris Fans. I believe that was her name. Right. It's especially odd because I find her acting and I guess the writing around her character just the most plucked from some anodyne sitcom of the time, like like Family Matters or Step by Step or whatever. The very first scene is her asking for a horse and her being upset that they don't want to give her a horse. And it's bad. Yeah, it's just a dumb parallel for a car. Just the fucking idiotic way that they try to like, oh, don't, you know, nothing's really changed. Parents are still, you know, fucking being bothered by their children to buy them, you know, some sort of transportation. Right. They draw out that joke to just rub your face in it. To the very fucking end of the show. Oh, yeah, the horse thing. It just comes back and back and back. God forbid they actually show a horse because then you're going to have to go into all the horse expenses that we discussed in the other episode. That's right. There's no animals in this at all. They can't afford horse insurance. They got to pay for all these fucking buckle shoes <laughs> that's right period correct the main guy is ryan o'neill he was in paper moon with his daughter tatum o'neill uh-huh that's pretty much the only place i know him paper moon is one of my favorite movies definitely recommend it but he was like kind of a big star in the 70s like he was kind of a leading man 
Yeah, he was described as one of the most popular actors of the 70s and something that I was reading. Really? That does not make sense to me. It doesn't track at all. But he claims that his career was ruined by Stanley Kubrick and Barry Lyndon. Damn, Stanley Kubrick stays winning. Just ruining everyone's fucking lives and careers. And he won the equivalent in 1975 of like worst actor of the year. Wow. For Barry Lyndon. I did a little bit of research into him and he kind of felt like a less talented, less interesting George Seagal Mm -hmm. who was also like pretty popular in the 60s and 70s to me most notable for the Altman film uh, California Split which is him and uh, Elliot Gould they're like gamblers drinkers and just fucking cutting it up all over California. I'll watch anything with Elliot Gould. Oh, he's the best. Have you watched The Long Goodbye, which is another Altman film starring Elliot Gould? No. No, I have not. I think they're both on Criterion Channel right now. California Split definitely is. The Long Goodbye is another like great Elliot Gould role where he plays like a private investigator. Excellent. Very fun. Yeah, I know, in my opinion, the MASH movie is 10 times better than the MASH TV show. Far superior. So far superior. The TV show is so boring. I mean, I understand why people loved it so much back then. There was, like, nothing else on television. Like, when you compare it to some of the shows today, it's just damn this is fucking boring and also it's a it's an example of a period comedy piece that was successful in american television that was one of the things that i had noted about this is there just really aren't that many comedies like sitcoms that take place in like a historical period mash had the advantage of korea being a proxy for vietnam which was going on at the time. It wasn't as far for people's imagination to go. The guy that wrote the book, MASH, when Altman made the movie, and he basically straight up said that it was a, a proxy for Vietnam, it drove the, the writer of the book crazy. He hated that aspect of it, and he fucking hated Robert Altman. <laughs> it seems like he kind of made a lot of enemies. There's another good story from uh, the filming of The Long Goodbye. They rented some house to uh, as uh, Elliot Gould's house in the movie in Malibu, and uh, Altman made enemies with the guy that owned the house. And when uh, they were done shooting, Robert Altman kept the garage door clicker for the guy's house and would just drive by and just, you know, click his garage door open or closed, whatever the case may be, just to fuck with him. That's (laughs) amazing. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of grudges, I did find the fact about him being named the worst actor because of Kubrick. So he spent over a year making Barry Lyndon for Kubrick. The resulting film was considered a commercial disappointment and had a mixed critical reception. It won O'Neill a Harvard Lampoon Award for the worst actor of 1975. And that's from the Wikipedia for Ryan O'Neill. Oh, God, the Lampoon. <laughs> the Harvard Lampoon. I don't know if, any, if anyone knows this, but uh, this is a Yale podcast. We all went to Yale, graduated from Yale, and uh, I, would, I would die for Yale University. <laughs> The Harvard Lampoon is probably like a physical lampoon that you have to like carry around with you or like... You gotta shove it up your ass. Another period sitcom that comes to mind, come to my mind, was That 70s Show. Yeah, also very bad. But, But successful. Yeah, definitely. Every single episode was directed by the same director as... 1775 david train really okay he directed every episode of that 70s show except for the pilot jesus christ he knows that he only has to direct the pilot in the first episode to get more money right you don't have to direct all of them especially since his name is trainer you know he doesn't have to really do the whole job yeah he could teach someone 
what I was going to say about Ryan O'Neal, when I was watching this, I was getting really strong Jason Bateman vibes off of him. He looks and sounds just like him, and he's very much playing the same kind of straight man character that Jason Bateman usually plays. Yeah, he does have kind of that, like, puffy, pinched face kind of look, huh? Like, squinty. I am watching, like, a VHS copy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, there are a couple of different versions of it on YouTube, and they all seem to have the same source. One of them is like a terrible VHS copy with a fucking VHS hum and crackle in the background that is maddening. Awful to listen to. I had the line coming up in the middle and the picture kind of moving around. Yeah, I like ended up switching over to one of the other copies that was a little more smooth, but had like weird breakups as well they all have the same voiceover during the credits for like what was coming on next on cbs yeah. now get ready for academy award nominee sigourney weaver in the network television premiere of gorillas in the mist next gorillas in the mist gorillas in the mist <laughs> network television debut of gorillas in the mist with sigourney's a movie that for some reason we watched in our like gifted and talented class in like seventh grade i want to say that sounds about right i like what was what was the point of that to expose you to you know how apes are sensitive and can talk to people i mean you'll find no greater fan of ape and monkey than myself but just like a kind of weird horny move to show a bunch of like 12 year olds joe was a friend of ape kind and monkey kind (laughs) that's right friend to all animals but especially apes and monkeys So, okay, the mom, Leslie Ann Down, I think most people remember her from her performances in Beastmaster 3, The Eye of Braxis. I do remember that. And Death Wish 5, The Face of Death. Oh my god, the best Death Wish movie. Canon classics. And she had also done a British comedy sitcom. That's right, she did Upstairs Downstairs. Yeah. Yeah, she's British. She's from Wandsworth, London. Has a British accent. And that's never really addressed or explained. Yeah, I wanted to do more research into this because sometimes you'll find colonial American stuff with the American people having British accents. And my understanding that the British accent now that we think of as the British accent was actually a fairly late development and that they sounded more like we sound now back then. Really? Huh. Interesting. But I said I was going to do more research on it, and I didn't do that, so don't quote well, me. Whatever. He's doing some <laughs> academic research. Stop. For Close the email. Don't send us an email about that. No, please do. <laughs> yeah, send us an email. It's fine. <laughs> we need to be corrected. Yeah, please correct us. Correct us. I'll give you my address. You can come over and paddle me and correct me all night. But it does stand out that she is the one with a British accent and no one really else. Yeah, I'm I'm not feeling like they have like a a strict adherence to historical accuracy. I mean, Tambor is supposed to be the guy. He's the governor. And they're like, he's British. He's the governor of Pennsylvania. She makes such a huge fucking deal about him being British. And then he just talks like fucking whatever his character's name was on, uh, 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 oh my god, the Larry Sanders show. <laughs> Hank Kingsley. Well, I have to say, okay, as a person who spent nine years pursuing a history degree and not having a PhD. <laughs> Did you hear I finally graduated? Yeah, and just a shade under a decade too, all right. I like the idea of a sitcom set in a historical period, and I, I think it's a neat idea, and I like I like 1775 Philadelphia as a backdrop. 
Totally. I liked that there was kind of a sense of like impending doom, like hanging over everybody. Yeah. And like the main character, the dad, Jeremy, he's feeling it. And the other girls are like not feeling it. And that's a huge conflict. And and I, I think the idea of how normal working class people would be affected by something like the American Revolution is a fascinating and rich idea. Like, I really like the ideas of this. Yeah. I feel like I that they should have dug in a little bit more and not done just such a like a basic sitcom. It's like a missed opportunity. Right. A 90s sitcom just overlaid with this in the background. The concerns of the characters are mostly the same things that would show up in another 90s sitcom. It was a missed opportunity. Yeah, like I I almost wonder, did they feel like it's going to be so off-putting that they're in 1775 that people won't be able to follow it unless we make it as basic and standard as possible? Like people won't understand this? I think they were really not sure of who the audience for it would be. And because they're pitching to different audiences, at the same time like they go really dirty with sexual kind of references in a way yeah and i say that as someone who has no moral standards around this stuff but he said something about the minutemen and the wife was like i don't know if you can talk bad about the minutemen after your performance last night whoa and it's like, yeah that was that was one of the only jokes that made me kind of laugh <laughs> but it's also like okay so they're going for married with children territory uh-huh. And Mary with Children goes all in on stuff like that. And the whole episode is kind of like in that zone. But in this one, they, they're alternating between like full house type humor with like the kid being frustrated with the parents and then married with children humor. Mm-hmm. And it's like, lay that over the backdrop of a historical piece. It's just all jumbled together and, and they're really inconsistent. Even you mentioned earlier that O'Neill is kind of the straight man. But they're not even solid on him being a straight man. They have him kind of like making jokes and stuff and being a little bit silly at times too. Just no consistency. He's a straight man in that he just wants things to function normally. And like he's like, we're going to run out of money and they don't care. Like they're in a different reality than he is. Like they're almost in a uh, like an absurd place where they're worried about this stupid ball. And he's like, how are we going to <laughs> feed ourselves? Yeah. It's like the how Jason Bateman is in uh, Arrested Development. I could see them almost yeah. the exact same character, where he's just trying to hold things together. The thing with Michael in Arrested Development is that he kowtows to being like morally superior uh-huh. to his family, when really he's like just as bad as them. Right. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the same thing that's happening here. Like he's also like a schlubby guy. He's also got his like selfish like desires or whatever. Another thing is I think the producers probably didn't think that Americans knew or cared about their history as you know. Which we don't. And I think the British, on the other hand, you know, talking about Black Adder and stuff, they're far more aware of their history because they're just so much more fucking of it there's like over a thousand years worth of british history and america is barely 200 years old especially in 1992 a thousand years of proud tradition from (laughs) moses to sandy koufax yeah i think you do see those Mm -hmm. in british television more it seems like yeah there's just more of it and i think they're also less sensitive something i think we might get into later like about how uh i think american trying to do an american period piece like you quickly run into some really horrible things yeah like what Stuart? (laughs) we'll get there at the end we'll talk about it at the end so (laughs) 
at the beginning of this, we get an amazing 90s sitcom intro. It's so fucking bad. With in-camera video effects. Each character, they get a little mug at the camera and freeze frame, and the and then the colors go saturated. With like that like draw effect or whatever. Mosaic or something, yeah. But it just is so dated. I was trying to figure it out. Like I was like, are they trying to go for old-timey photo? But that should be like sepia. But then again, like there was no photography in 1775, so it would it'd be more like a rococo style with like pastels would be more appropriate like that time period a painting yeah like a painting like a little portrait with like bright pastel or colors drawing, yeah. it was like they got kind of stuck in between the two and couldn't decide what to do i think that that you're right that that's what they wanted to do they wanted it to have a freeze frame and then change into a painting mm-hmm. but they probably did not have the budget to commission paintings of every fucking character on there unlike now when you could just go pay someone on fiverr and they'd do it for nothing <laughs> so this was like the bevel and emboss feature of it in the primitive yes. digital editing app. Yeah, did you ever have a video camera yeah. that would do, there, there was like an effect called like solar or whatever, and it kind of had the same kind of look. That would be pretty hilarious that they were doing in-camera effects for a network sitcom. I'm pretty sure that they were. Really? I'm pretty sure that's what that is, yeah. Oh. Well, you know, it's just a pilot. It's right? just, it's a, just pilot. a pilot. Yeah, let it go. Just get that idea out there and then uh, let it let it marinate. So the dad stands there with his hat. That's the first one. And then the second one, the mom, for some reason is leaning on her elbow shaking her head at a pile of, t- of potatoes and then the nerd daughter is reading and the rebel daughter is writing anti-british graffiti on a wall the most like fucking toothless graffiti british go home yeah come on you can do better than that call them limeys or something the potatoes though that had potential. She's staring and shaking her head at the potatoes because she just fucking hates the Irish so much. <laughs> and the the vain daughter is looking at herself in a mirror. And then um, the last guy, the worker guy, who we haven't talked about, he just kind of comes in the kitchen and looks around and then walks back out. And it's like they couldn't come up with anything for him to do. And they were like, yeah, just come <laughs> in here and look stupid and then walk out. He couldn't be, you know, shoveling something or... Maybe he should have been looking at the fucking potatoes. That guy had a couple good lines, though. I I, I end up liking. He him did. Later. We can get, kind of get into that. He's probably one of the the best parts of this. He's one one of the most memorable parts. A uh, personal favorite film of mine as well. Gregory Sporliter. Yeah, yeah. He famously is in uh, The Rock, and he's quite good in that. Who does he play in The Rock? Captain something. He's one of the guys that takes over the island. Oh, sweet. But he just has like such a fucking evil look to him with that wide, sharp jaw. Yeah, most of his roles after this were military bad guys. He was tired of playing like a buffoon. He seems like an all right guy. Apparently, I was reading about him a little bit. He was named the best dancer in his high school. There you go. <laughs> he also played like the methy panther guy, I think, in True Blood. Oh, I, you know what? Isn't isn't he? Doesn't. I, I, I'm maybe fucking this up, but I'm pretty sure that he's the one that delivers the best line in The Rock where he goes, You don't take pleasure in gutting you, boy. He also played Billy in the Sheryl Crow video, All I Want to Do. Oh, man. They, they had character names in the music video for All I Want to Do by Sheryl Crow. Yeah, she mentions Billy. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I'm sure I've seen that music video at least a thousand times. Oh, this guy's an icon, <laughs> and his performance in this was welcome. If only there had been as much charm as he had put forth. So the first thing that happens is the rebel daughter, Abby, Abigail, and the dad are arguing about that she wants a horse. 
think we kind of touched on that earlier. It's this horse joke that comes back over and over and over. It's like it's like a stand-in for a car. She wants a car. Don't I let you use my horse on special occasions? The family nag. Hey, <laughs> Gussie gets you where you want to go. Yeah, unless you want to go uphill. <laughs> I guess it would be like analogous to like a daughter not wanting to take the station wagon out or something like that. Exactly, yeah. Dad's beater. And apparently the inn, the tavern that they, they work in, which is, I think I already mentioned the name, the the Cock and Hound. It's not doing too good because there's a, a revolution supposed to happen, supposedly going to be happening. Yeah, famously, no one wants to drink in times of political turmoil. Right. Well, the, yeah, that's one of the problems I had with this was like at this time, the Second Continental Congress was going on in Philadelphia. So there are a lot of people there. Franklin, George Washington, Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> and a lot of that political shit happened in the pubs. Yeah, they couldn't drink water, right? They like pretty much had to drink beer because the water was too tainted, right? And they were drunk. They were all drunk all the time. Tastes too plain. Need something with a little taste. They hadn't invented uh, water with a lemon. They just need a little taste. And the best part is when they bring in George Washington, which we'll get to, but... They could have had these other characters from history that people have heard of coming in and out of the hotel. So it doesn't make any sense that they're they're having hard times during a, a revolution. It should be it should be hopping. Yeah, if only they had uh, been able to predict the success of the famous Broadway musical Hamilton. That's right, Hamilton. Just you Hamilton. It was the inspiration for Hamilton. That's right, Lin Manuel Miranda. He watched this, and then he did the soy face. And he said, ooh, this, I'll make a musical out of this. Yeah, the people saying that this was inspired by Black Adder, no. Yeah. This inspired Hamilton, clearly. Hamilton. He's, like, trying to trick people to, like, stay longer in the, the hotel. And while he's doing that, the vain daughter, Eliza, comes down and starts complaining that her hair is less flaxen. It's not as flaxen as it used to be. <laughs> It's not as flaxen. It used to be so flaxen. I thought that was pretty funny, actually. I was like, That's, this is kind of funny that she's concerned about the level of flaxenness of her hair. Yeah, it's a pretty good gag. It went on a little too long. It was a pretty decent little it's joke. It's a funny problem for a teenager to have. Well, it certainly seems every bit as flaxen as it was before. For some reason, she is saying, Maud is the eldest. So I can't get married until she does. And she feels like she's getting old and she wants to get married now while she's young, which is bizarre. You don't do something about Maud soon. I'm never getting married. Of course you will. Why do I even talk to you? I don't know. <laughs> like I and the parents just kind of go, oh, OK, like it's not something they're like forcing on her, you know, like um, Taming of the Shrew. I think that's yeah. what it's literally that like the younger daughter can't marry until the older daughter does. But in that one, she's obviously she's a shrew, not like a nerd. But anyway, none of this matters because like it, it's not something the parents are demanding. Like in that, he doesn't care at all. He just do whatever you want. He was like, you should wait. You're only 16. Yeah, but that but he doesn't care about Maud getting married. Like he's totally does not care one way or the other if she's married or not. He's got bigger things to worry about his fucking failing business. So then the mom gets this bird brain idea next week is the annual freemasons ball every eligible young man in philadelphia will be there including ben and the mom decides they're gonna go there they're gonna take maude there and they're gonna try and get her back together with the boyfriend she had dumped ben 
I wish we had gotten a ball scene. That would have been pretty cool. Uh, but we never actually get to the ball. The big Freemason scene where they're doing satanic sacrifices to ball or whatever. That's why it's called a ball. They don't have the money. You know, he's like, I don't want to buy all these dresses. I don't want to buy all the tickets. And it just becomes this huge thing. It's like the whole driving force behind the show. And it really doesn't make any sense. And it's very forced. But this is the other part where she tells her husband to just go and borrow money from her family. Because she is apparently Martha Washington's sister. Yeah, his brother-in-law. Which, again, if she's Martha Washington's sister, why does she have a British accent? I mean, I guess we just are supposed to ignore that. But then at one point, there's this part where he's complaining that she bought a hat from France. And she says, I'm a Custis. Custises don't allow anything to touch their heads unless it's from France. Well, I must remember to find an old guillotine somewhere. <laughs> so I was like, what is a Custis? I thought she was saying that she was a countess, but she said it fucking weird. Yeah, I I didn't catch what she said either. At that I didn't part. know this. So that's, that's Martha Washington's maiden name is Custis. Right. No, no, no. I actually... Martha Washington's maiden name is Dandridge. Oh. But she was married to someone before she was married to Washington. Oh, yeah, look at that. His name was Daniel Park Custis. Okay. Yeah, what the fuck is this about? So either Annabelle, the mom, is supposed to be his sister, like Daniel Park's sister, or they just didn't do any research to find out what Martha Washington's maiden name was. And they just assumed it was Custis. But I thought a lot funnier because now... In the future scene, when he goes to Washington, to George Washington, here's like George Washington's wife's dead husband's family showing up asking for money. That's just fucking strange. This doesn't make any sense. I guess it was just much harder to do research before Wikipedia existed. Well, yeah. You're saying his wife was dead at this point? So what I'm saying is, so in this show, Jeremy goes to George Washington to ask for money. And if, in fact, Jeremy's wife, Annabelle Custis, was Martha Washington's dead husband's sister. It's like your wife's dead husband's family is showing up asking you for money. It's like, who the hell are you? Get a, Go away. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's a long, it's a long way for that, but. Yeah, Martha Washington had, must have had some like fucking killer top game because she was homely as a motherfucker. She had money. Oh. Custis money. But yeah, exactly. Custis money. <laughs> So, meanwhile, Abigail, or Abby, as she wants to be called, is making out with a guy on the front porch, and their dad catches them. And this is the first line that I actually laughed at. Sir, I may not have much time. I- I'm a minute man. I could be shot at any moment. You got that right? <laughs> <laughs> he runs off. <laughs> That's a pretty solid joke. And then you get the joke that we were talking about earlier. I just saw your youngest daughter kissing a minute man. After your performance last night, I wouldn't be so critical of Minutemen. <laughs> Which I did laugh at. Ha ha. <laughs> it's a very married with children joke. Right. Of course I come fast. I've got a revolution to start. Then Jeffrey Tambor shows up. I don't feel like we really need to say much about him. He's the old guy from Arrested Development. He's been in a lot of stuff. And he plays the Governor Massingale. 
He's brainstorming what what else he can tax. Oh yeah, that's where we get the very good line, clearly written by a libertarian. Why don't we just tax people's incomes and be done with it? No, no politician would ever be that stupid. <laughs> oh god! Right. It was just like, oh yeah, everybody hates taxes. Taxation is theft. Like, I mean, I guess it was part and parcel of sitcoms at this time, but there's all these just like nods to like, oh, we're all normal here, right? We hate taxes, right? The dad hates his wife and kids, right? <laughs> Right? Because all dads hate their family and just want to be left alone. It's like just real laziness. The mom, at one point, she just tries to push Maude onto like a random stranger who happens to be there in the bar ordering beer. And she like rips her dress off her shoulder and takes her glasses away. And she becomes ludicrously blind. Mm-hmm. And she goes into the bar and spills mm-hmm. beer in the guy's lap and starts rubbing his crotch with a towel. Right. Also. At her father's behest. Wipe up the man's lap. <laughs> and then he says, no, that wait, that's not right. I'll take care of it. And then he's rubbing the crotch. Right. Which this is and- straight up from Three's Company. This is like a hijinks bit misunderstanding, even the gender swap part of yeah, it. Where it's like, stuff, oh, yeah. no, suddenly it's gay now. Just straight out of Three's Company. Yeah, isn't the whole point? point of three's company that he's they're like pretending that he's gay yeah yeah uh-huh that's really fucking stupid come and knock on our door well that's the only way that he can like live there is they won't let like a normal straight guy live with two straight women he has to be gay which is makes no sense yeah it's very stupid it's at least as dumb as uh what's the tom hanks one bosom buddies it's a hotel for women okay we made one adjustment now these other ladies know us as Buffy and Hildegard. Oh no, that's great. Is it? Yeah, that show's hilarious. It's been 20 years and honestly, like, sitting around on a fucking Saturday afternoon and that came on on Channel 27 or whatever. Yeah. It's just like, god damn it, the show sucks. It sucks to look at. Give me cartoons. I haven't really seen much of that show, but I heard Robert Smigel was talking about how much he liked that show at the time and was a fan of Tom Hanks. It's really? pretty good. Uh, I remember being pretty funny. I mean, like, I can think of a lot worse things to come on on a Saturday afternoon. I mean, it could be golf. Maude gives the governor, Governor Massinger, the great idea to tax candles because everybody uses them. Of course, the next thing that happens is he goes upstairs and his daughters have like 50 candles going in their room so she can look at her hair. Yeah, there's a candle protest. This burns about five minutes of the runtime of the show of just him running around blowing out candles. Right, yeah, exactly. Really great concept. Well, after the interaction with his daughters, he like falls asleep yeah. for a second, leaning against a door. <laughs> And has a dream about him being an old man in a chair and his wife spilling hot soup in his lap? I think it was Maude because she's blind. Oh my god, what the fuck? Like the two other girls are arguing in the background and, and Maude stumbles in and dumps soup in his crotch. I rewound that about ten times trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. Actually, that was the second time I laughed because it was just so out of nowhere and somebody getting hot soup dumped in their lap. It's pretty funny. There were a couple things in this show that were just out of nowhere, and they just needed more of that, I think. You know, if they had just committed to being way, like, over the top, who I was secretly wanting to be in this Ryan O'Neill spot was Will Ferrell. Wow! Like, like just go all the way into yes. historical absurdity. Just lean into it. That was my note, too. Like, 70, 1775 needs to be way more wacky. Yeah. You can start with this very 
thin sitcom plot and hang the wackiest of shit on that. That'll be your structure, yeah. the, your through line is this basic plot, but make 1775 needs to be off the wall ridiculous. Right. And like when they go see George Washington played by Adam West, right. he is just like on another level and he is just being really kind of goofy, but sticking to what he's supposed to be saying, but just his demeanor, his faces, it's just, it steals the scene. It steals the, the episode. Pure west it's like watching a different fucking show that scene is like an entirely different show let's set this up so the mom suggests that he go borrow money from george and george washington is played by adam west who fans will remember from our last episode look well and this scene is by far the best part of the whole show and it's over way too fast. It's maybe a minute and a half long. It really is like the only redeeming part in this entire piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think he spent more time blowing out candles than talking to George Washington. Yeah. I mean, definitely. We need more Adam West. I mean, come on. Yeah, we really did. I mean, you got him for the day. That was my entire thought process when I was watching it. It was like, fuck, Adam West is just so goddamn likable. He's so good. He's so funny. I almost want to go rewatch some old family guy where he was in it as the mayor or whatever, just to get like a little extra West fix. You know, we didn't talk about this last time, but uh, when we were talking about Adam West, but he was also the principal on The Adventures of Pete and Pete. That's right. Another like really great wacky like authority character, which he does the best. He's in the episode where they, they bring the Up With Hygiene singers to the school. Hey everybody, I'm Johnny Earwax and we're the Up With Personal Hygiene Singers. <laughs> Here's an answer to your woes Hygiene, hygiene When you're clean from head to toe You will always say I'm a happy girl I'm a happy boy People love you when you're clean So now on with our show great adam west is great when we cut there it says george's place (laughs) which is just a funny way to introduce it also there's a gentleman shining george washington's shoes that's right who is very recognizable so he's listed as joseph but i don't think they ever say his name they don't he's played by abdul salam el razak and he seems like a pretty interesting actor like he did a lot more theater than movies and stuff but he was in a lot of movies as well he was in an episode of tng as a bass player on the holodeck yeah he was the prison guard when they bust sarah connor out of the insane asylum in terminator 2 oh i think he has a name in that too he's like curtis or something it's something like that they have to pay you more money if they give you a name I think that's the deal. Oh, really? So that's why there's someone credited as just man in the end credits to this show. Right. (laughs) They don't have to pay him. You don't get your sag wages or whatever. So Jeremy, he's asking George Washington for money. um, And he's, and Adam West is like, hey, look at this table. Look at these toy soldiers. Yeah, look. And this was great. Take a look at this. Jeremy says, are these the troops of the revolution? No, they're toys. See? This one's a drummer. And this one's an Indian fighter. See his little coonskin cap. <laughs> and it's like, I did want to 
look at the history a little bit, and I think George Washington might have been at Mount Vernon during this time. The revolution broke out in April 19th of 1775, and he left Mount Vernon May 7th. So as long as this is supposed to take place before May 7th, he would have been at Mount Vernon. So That's not a quick trip, though, from Philadelphia to that part of Virginia. He didn't leave until the 7th. No, but for Jeremy to go from Philadelphia to Virginia. Oh, no. I have to Google Maps it, but it would have been a, a few days trip, I think. Yeah, it's like he goes up there and comes back. Like he's running to the store. This would have probably been a regular part of the show where he's like going and visiting George for like wisdom. It'd been like Tim going and talking to uh, Wilson. To the Wilson. <laughs> oh, Wilson, my wife is happy again. My wife, Eleanor. 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 My wife. It was funny that he was like, no, I think of you like family. And then Joseph whispers to him and then he goes, oh, you are family. And uh, there's also a great point where he says something about how hard it is to get money out of the Washingtons. And you look over at at Joseph and he's just like looking at the ground, shaking his head. (laughs) Like, yeah, I know. I never get paid. Oh, right. Uh, fucking slave. I didn't get that, actually. But I, I didn't notice that. You're totally right that that's what they were doing. I mean, that's clearly what the joke was, was either he doesn't get paid enough, because you know, as a servant or... Or that he doesn't get paid at all because he is lives in human bondage. He gives Jeremy a loan of 15% interest, which Jeremy refuses. And I actually, I have read about george washington lending people money and i couldn't i couldn't find the source uh i was in a book i read at some point where like george washington had like lent some guy money and then when he didn't pay him back he like tried to ruin the guy it was like an absurdly small amount so like george washington was known for like lending money and then pursuing them Ah. loan shark shit Mm -hmm. so after all this he you know he went all the way to virginia and back i assumed you'd find some way to bungle it so I saw my sister Martha, who's in town today, shopping. Her husband likes her to look nice, and I borrowed the money. So again, like, yeah, I don't know why Martha is shopping in Philadelphia when she lives in Virginia. They have uh, the the type of beans that she likes. <laughs> well, she says, like, her, her husband loves the way that she looks and wants to buy her nice dresses. Yeah, I bet he loves the way she looks. Homely woman. He was a handsome woman. Handsome <laughs> woman. God damn it. Is that the opposite of uh, toothsome, Chris? <laughs> They're parallel concepts. <laughs> You've got your toothsome women and your handsome women, and never the twain shall meet. Jeremy is mad because Martha Washington is a gossip, apparently. And Bert comes in and he's asking if he can be paid in advance because he heard from his friend the dung sorter mm-hmm. that they went begging to the washingtons for money and we get this great line could you try and do a better job of managing these type of affairs because this sort of thing makes me look bad in front of my friend the dung sorter <laughs> i i, yeah, I, I like did that laugh one. at that it's actually what i do for a living it's still a proud uh, occupation <laughs> okay and another thing i forgot to mention about bert a lot of jokes with him uh involve him just getting hit on the head yeah kind of dumb jeremy hits him over the head with things like over and over and over again the guy says can you ring for the bellhop or whatever and he says i sure can and he smacks him over the head with like a a pan or something well and then he smacks him again with the silver pot when he asks if he wants so 
silver or cash. Made in silver. I'd never reject a touch of silver. For some reason, he's like speaking with a Scottish accent. He has an Irish, like, lilting brogue. An Irish brogue. This actor is from St. Louis. That's right. Still lives there, apparently, according to Wikipedia. The God's Honest Truth. Mm-hmm. Finally, Maud overhears her parents talking about their plan to take the girls to the ball and try to get Ben to propose to Maud, and we get the real sitcom moment. I don't love him. I thought you did. I never did. And if you just asked me how I felt in the first place instead of planning my life, you would have known that. Blah, 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 blah. You know, the fucking Full House shit. Classic sitcom bullshit. Fucking go to my child's room to have a fucking talk with them, a heartfelt talk, and the audience goes, Hey, that's exactly what happens next. Is Maud runs funk. into the restaurant part of the bar, and the dad comes in and he like sets her on his knee. You didn't marry mother out of love. And you must never say, anything. but your mother, when she was a young girl, she hadn't quite lost her baby fat yet. <laughs> well, the fact is, she was quite plump. <laughs> mother was plump. Well, let's just say I never took her to the beach during whaling season. <laughs> but is she so thin now? Potato famine, seventeen sixty. <laughs> and there you go. That's why she's shaking your head at a pile of potatoes in the opening credits. This was a really stupid conversation and scene. But and meanwhile, she's in the other room and here overhearing this and getting angrier and angrier that he's talking about how fat she was mm-hmm. and about how he didn't actually love her at first and um, stuff like that. Yeah, and she starts hand loading a muzzle loading musket. And Maud leaves the room, and Jeremy turns around. And the mom has the gun pointed at his head. Spousal violence, folks. It's fucking hilarious. Well, for some reason, the situation makes both of them super horny. Well, she points the gun at his dick from his head at, to his crotch. Right. Never felt so so weak and vulnerable before. <laughs> kind of like it. <laughs> That's funny because, well, I've never felt so strong and powerful before. I kind of like it, too. <laughs> What are you going to do? I'm going to take you upstairs before either one of us loses this feeling. Mm. Yeah, it's like a weird, weird cuck dynamic. This started to turn into like some Cronenberg crash territory stuff. And I was like, this is quite a departure for this yeah, show yeah. of like sadomasochistic gunplay flirtation. Yeah, when when she starts running up the stairs, when they start, you know, going up the stairs and he's like, I'm right behind you. He should have added, bring the gun, bring the musket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They like run upstairs because they're so horny and they have to fuck right now. And when they get up there, the girls are like, oh, man, we have to leave. They have to leave the house. Not even just upstairs. They have to leave the entire fucking house. Is there only one bedroom up there? Well, it wouldn't make sense because it's an inn, right? And then he says, all right, you can have the damn horse. (laughs) Putting the bow on the hole. Puts the button on the show. And that is... 1775. Not a very long show, thank God. It's only like 18 minutes long. Absolute doo doo. I watched it three fucking times today, expecting it to get better at any fucking point, and it never did. Not even just the delight of seeing Adam West or Jeffrey Tambor could save this piece of shit. No, it's 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 absolutely the worst. 
it's not funny bad it's just mediocre it's like you know white paint but again like wherever you look this up this is the american black adder and there's actually there's another youtube channel that has uploaded this and it's a black adder fan site whoa what i didn't see this it's like i think the the username is desmond um black adder desmond pfeiffer he uploaded a bunch of stuff 10 years ago a bunch of black adder stuff and then vanished Huh. And it's still up. They haven't copyright claimed that shit. That's crazy. No, no. It's just like little. I don't, I don't know if uh, if you guys know this or if any of our listeners know this. Rowan Atkinson is somehow, despite the fact that he's done like three things in his entire career, is worth like $250 million. Oh, yeah. Well, he's been in a lot of movies, too. Like the Johnny English movies were huge in the UK. They didn't do well here. Well, I think the Mr. Bean character thing, too, was kind of a global hit because they didn't have to yes. subtitle the history. You think he's getting, uh, he's also getting a taste of uh, the Filipino Mr. Bean's action? <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> that guy has to pay licensing fees. Yeah. I've read where he would, he had it in his contract that Italy couldn't play his movies on tv or between like certain times because he wanted to go vacation down there and he didn't want anybody to to recognize him (laughs) he's shitting me no i'm not i kind of have a feeling that he sucks i know that he has like some sort of insane exotic car collection like i think it was after he got paid for mr bean Uh he was one of the first people to buy uh, a mclaren which is like the first car to ever cost a million dollars or whatever fuck jesus just kind of a fucking snob I, I feel like he sucks in probably some other ways we're not privy to. But he was funny. <laughs> yeah, actually. he is. Mr. Bean is amazing. <laughs> but I feel like we have to mention that there is a real American black adder. That's right. And, and the emphasis on the black. Yeah. This is the secret diary of Desmond Pfeiffer. from 1998 so it takes place during the civil war desmond pfeiffer is a disgraced english nobleman who happens to be black that's right he leaves england because of uh, some problem with the queen pfeiffer an english nobleman claimed that he and his trusted manservant were forced by rival noblemen to flee to america due to a dispute over the queen which all sounds very black adder by the way yeah absolutely he ends up in the u.s as president lincoln's valet very black adder he's played by the greatness of shy mcbride yeah from all kinds of shit people probably most recognize him from like gone in 60 seconds yeah he's kind of a smooth character he's just a, a good act he is really great so all of this is laid out clearly like spelled out directly in the beginning credits but for some reason before the pilot was released it was published that he was in fact supposed to be an escaped slave and because of that the civil rights groups protested and it's it's really odd when you go back and and look at the newspaper articles because like upm will respond and be like there's nothing racist about this and when they describe the show you can tell they never even bothered to watch the show like it's just something that got out of control really quick and sunk this show before it could take off. UPN didn't show the pilot. They showed the second episode and there's only four episodes that ever aired. And those are the four episodes they are up on YouTube. They filmed nine uh-huh. episodes and right. were released. Yeah. And I watched all four of the episodes at like, <laughs> at like quadruple speed, just because I wanted to watch them really quick for this podcast. And I did not hear slavery mentioned in any context at all a couple of the episodes have confederate soldiers i mean and you'd have to because it's the civil war and they're racist yeah but they're like buffoons yeah yeah the the confederates are definitely played as like 
complete fucking idiots in it. It's very funny. It's hilarious. It's like the whole the whole storyline of them intercepting uh, Lincoln's yeah Morse co- was Morse code even a thing yet? Well, okay. I don't know. I don't know my history that well, but they keep intercepting his like set. It's like he's having online sex, but he's doing it through a telegraph. Yeah, and the lines get crossed, and he's te- and he's telegraphing with Stonewall Jackson. <laughs> A message of surrender must have finally gone through. I've received a response from the White House. Well, that's good, son. What does it say? It says, you're going to get the licking of your life. <laughs> licking? How dare they? Withdraw that offer of surrender. We'll see who licks who. <laughs> I will lick them from top to bottom. <laughs> Dispatch the following message back. Be prepared to be brought to your knees. It's so funny. It's so much funnier than 1775. I need to watch this. I I did not have the foresight to watch that show. Well, and, I didn't um, find it until yeah, right yeah. until this afternoon. So, yeah. But if you like if you look around like Tavis Smiley in in one of his books brags about getting it pulled off the air and he'll describe it and it's like you didn't even watch this show. Like, you don't know what you're talking about, you know? Yeah, it's especially mm-hmm. weird, considering how hard to have a smiley capes for the most racist band to ever exist. Holland <laughs> Oates. He is a true diehard fan. Just kidding, they're not racist. Uh, Holland Oates? He really is. He thinks it's an absolute shame that they are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And it's a disgrace to the institution. Like, there's plenty of footage of him going on record about that. Wow. Fucking institution of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Whatever. Corny bullshit. I would say, I, you know, like, I would totally recommend our listeners go check out The Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer, the four episodes. I want to say I want this show released on DVD. I think it got an unfair shake. If you're black, get at us and let us know if you thought that the show was racist. Um, yeah, please, please correct us. If we have any black listeners, which I, I doubt. I made my wife sit down and watch it. Oh, I hated it. I hated it. And she usually is a better bellwether of that kind of stuff than me. So she gave it the thumbs up that it was actually funny and not racist. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I genuinely thought that the first episode was, was pretty funny. I did too. It was funny in that 1990s UPN way. It's like almost like a British comedy. Like it's super silly. It has the same dynamic as Black Adder. It's uh-huh. like, you know, your main character, Desmond F- Pfeiffer. And then he has like his bald, long haired fucking crony guy who's just an absolute dumbass. Uh huh. Exactly like Black Adder and uh, Baldrick. Yeah. It's like the same dynamic. So, I mean, it's obvious that they were aping Black Adder when they made this. And it, it like has all the same beats. And, and I don't know why. I guess they didn't want it. They weren't actually officially connected with black adder but they should have advertised it as being the american black adder i probably would have watched it at it was what 1998 right yeah so i was like 14 and like definitely at that time where i was staying up late to watch the british comedies on pbs right so like a lot of black adder keeping up appearances are you being served which is kind of (laughs) oh whatever kind of a boring show i love are you being served we actually were watching that the other night yeah and there's a there's an american are you being serve pilot that we may hopefully get to at some point called Beans of Boston. Here's my store, Beans of Boston, built in 1888. We should do a double episode again, but do it 
of that and the the American Pilot for IT crowd. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is like a shot for shot remake. I've actually watched it. It's literally the exact same show. Like shot for shot, the the script is the same. It's like almost not even worth reviewing because it's the same show except they have uh Joel McHale as uh Yeah. The Scott I can't remember the Scottish uh, character's name. Roy is the character's name. I can't remember the actor's name. He's he's Irish also, not Scottish. Oh right. Okay. They have the same guy playing Moss that plays it in the British version. Same actor. Oh, Richard, Richard Ayoade. Ayoade, yeah. Ayoade. I, I, God, I don't know how to fucking pronounce it. My name's Richard Ayoade, or at least I think that's how it's pronounced. But anyway, all this to say with, with the Desmond Piper, uh, Pfeiffer. 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 The, the P, they, they said specifically that, say, I, the P is not silent for some reason. Desmond Pfeiffer. The P isn't silent. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a cautionary tale, I think, to producers um, that, you know, you do a historical comedy that has to do with U.S. history and you very quickly run into problematic things. Like, I feel like they all they heard was you were doing a Civil War sitcom. Yeah, starring a black man. Starring a black man. And all of a sudden, because that era is such a toxic time it it immediately gets bad press and like i don't know like there's so many eras in united states history that are like that and it's still going on is that why 1775 was so bland to avoid that or is it just a coincidence (laughs) i think they avoid that like the fucking plague i mean they don't even really mention that the guy shining uh washington's shoes might be a slave other than like the joke about his money and also he's the only black person in the entire fucking thing yeah that's true and i would wager you know probably one of very few black people that worked on the show that's probably true too you know it's probably one of the big reasons why you know it's written the way that it is you mean not funny old white men (laughs) just trying to collect a check so yeah it seems like these writers it was just you know the producers i guess they went on to some writing credits on coach but which you know was a very popular show for that time but mediocre they they were just kind of on their way out they had done three's company come and knock on our door they had done the two Three's Company spinoff shows, The Ropers and Three's a Crowd or something like that. Oh, what the fuck? And then... The, the, there was a show called The Ropers? I think so, yeah. And then there's a, there's actually a whole Three's Company Wikipedia, like, or wiki that has all this information. Jesus Christ, uh, really? Three'sCompany.fandom.com uh, The oh, Three's yeah. Company Wikia. Oh. So Three's a Crowd and The Ropers. I think this show was just kind of a last gasp of a dated type of humor that they had, mm-hmm. had tried to adapt to 90s by by picking some some more edgy stuff from Married with Children, but they really didn't have a clear idea of what they wanted to do. It was just sort of like old-fashioned at the same time. I, I think it was just kind of a last gasp of a certain type of sitcom and, and humor mm-hmm. that just didn't work. Yeah, I guess that is kind of the, the formula for sitcoms back then, is you just like, well, obviously, you create a different situation or whatever the fuck. Yeah, you, take a, you take a situation, and then you throw in comedy. Hey, trash <laughs> comedy around it. Damn it. <laughs> Fucking yeah. my own bullshit. Uh, but yeah, like creating like a theme around just like the most generic style of joke. And that that was like how you created a successful sitcom back then. It's all just a family. It's like, if, how do you, how do we, you know, do like a family in this, this place or a family in that place or whatever, you know? Yeah. Like, like uh, home improvement, like, oh, it's, uh-huh. it's like a family, but he uh, has a, he does tools, but he's really bad at it. Small time home improvement show. Uh, fucking 
coach like oh they're like a, a family but he's divorced and you know he he lives with his girlfriend but he's a coach and like you're like over complicating it it's just like he likes tools he has a tool show but he's bad at it the coach you know he's a football coach it's like the dynamic that he's like a, a tough guy that can coach football players but like how do you also be a dad mm. those just had something a little bit more coherent to them or together and on this it's like okay let's situate them in a hotel <laughs> where you have the potential to have lots of people coming and going oh but let's make it empty and in a very unique period in time but let's not take advantage of either <laughs> one of those things yeah. to make this interesting and instead just situate it as like a family living in a house yeah it's a hotel that's uh that's empty so we have no potential of you know wacky guests oh yeah uh, you know what i bet that it was also inspired by faulty towers to that extent that it takes place in a hotel I, you know i thought about that too um there actually is i think there is a faulty towers american there is i have not watched it and i I haven't watched we'll, it either. We'll watch it. If we have to. If you pay us money, we'll fucking watch it. Right. Join our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get to hear me bumble drunkenly through fucking two hours of this shit. If I join my sub stack, I will uh, write vaguely right-wing articles now. <laughs> Chris is pivoting to a very pro-Israel point of view lately. Where the money is. All about the Netanyahu. It's all about the net. <laughs> all about the yahoos so how many hot how many fourth of july hot dogs are we giving this bad boy how do we rate it god uh zero i'm giving it also zero so that i can keep all the fourth of july hot dogs to myself give them all to me i want them all i guess you know i pointed out a couple scenes where i gotta laugh so i'm gonna give it actually the highest rating of all of us for once and give it a half a hot dog but no relish. No relish. Wow. High praise from Chris. He's stingy with the hot dog. He's dogs. very stingy. I mean, the relish. So yeah, half a hot dog, no relish. Thank you for the two laughs. A little bit of like the old style nasty ketchup <laughs> that was mostly seawater. <laughs> the one that spelled cats up. <laughs> a little bit of cats <laughs> up made from real cats. Is there anything else we could possibly say about this fucking show? It fucking stinks. It's boring. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's terrible. It's not good. Don't watch, don't it. watch it. If you're like a Black Adder completist, don't watch the show and go watch uh, the Secret Diaries of Desmond Pfeiffer. Yeah. And if you're Shy McBride, fucking email us and let's uh, let's talk about the Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer. Fuck this show. And getting those other episodes Please. out. Let's get them all out. It's been 30 years. Or no, it's been 20-something years, right? Yeah, 23 years since 1998. 23 years. All I have to say is free Palestine and free the other other five episodes of the secret diary of desmond pfeiffer yeah unless the pilot actually does have lynching in it then yeah you know right i stand corrected